Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that escaped convict, Ironjaw. That rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That is hey. Blank is the killer. Greetings, friends. How's it going? You are tuning into the fifth installment of Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast based on the 31 new-to-me horror movies I decided to watch for the month of October. This episode is going to be a little different from the others, given that there were only three days left in October this week. In this episode, I'll be going over three horror movies that I hadn't seen before. There will also be two movies that I've seen a lot. And lastly, I'll talk about a horror television series and finish off the podcast with a special treat that no one particularly asked for. I know what you're thinking. Blank is the killer is my life. If I don't have a new episode to look forward to, what is the point of living? October is over. What is going to happen to it? Fear not. The podcast is going to continue. I'll talk about what's going to be happening and the uh, upcoming changes at the tail end of the show. As for this very second, put your worries aside and get on this spooky ride. Number one, The Wolfman, 1941, directed by George Wagner. Larry Talbot comes back to London after his brother's death to see his father. Larry installs a telescope and spies on a girl named Gwen who works at an antique shop. Larry moseys on over and pretends that he's a psychic since he knows about stuff Gwen has in her room. She continuously tells him that she's not interested, but Larry decides to show up at 8 to pick her up anyways. When he arrives at 8, Gwen decides to go with Larry to get their fortunes read and brings her friend Jenny. They find a gypsy camp where a woman named Maleva and her son, Bela, are hanging out. Jenny goes to have her fortune read by Bela, while Larry and Gwen go for a walk. Bela has the mark of the werewolf on his forehead and sees a pentagram on Jenny's palm, which means she's going to be his next victim. He tells her to run away. Jenny runs but is attacked by a wolf. Larry hears her screams and runs to help her. He beats the wolf to death with the silver-topped cane that he bought at the antique shop earlier. He is bitten in the kerfuffle. When people arrive at the scene, they see that Jenny is dead and Bela has been bludgeoned to death. Larry is taken home and questioned by the police. He shows them a bite mark on his chest, which has mysteriously vanished. Larry goes over to see Gwen, who tells him she's engaged. Her dude comes over and Larry leaves. They all meet up at a gypsy festival. Maleva gives Larry a pentagram amulet that should keep him from turning into a werewolf. Larry gives the amulet to Gwen because he's an idiot. Larry then transforms into a werewolf later on that night and murders a gravedigger. More hijinks ensue. Larry knows he's a werewolf, steps into a bear trap, is suspected by the village hunters, 
says goodbye to Gwen, who wants to run away with him, but has the pentagram palm, goes home to talk to his dad, gets tied to a chair, gives his dad the wolf killer cane, turns into a werewolf, and escapes, tries to kill Gwen, gets beaten to death by his dad, then Maleva turns him human and everyone thinks a wolf attacked Gwen and killed Larry. Bela, Larry, and his father are the killers. Actually, I'd say Larry not taking no for an answer is the killer. That dirtbag is the reason everyone died. He sucks and is a complete moron. He's not a likable character at all. His dad lets us know that he's basically abandoned his family. He peeps on girls like the guy from the Weird Al song, Melanie. Come to think of it, he's almost as bad as the guy in that song. When a lady says no over and over, he persists. When a lady tells him she's engaged, he still keeps going. The only other character I have in recent memory that I hate more than this guy is Holden Ford in the new Netflix show Mindhunters, which I don't think I recommend. It's an alright show, I guess. Besides Larry being the worst, the movie is a lot of fun. The characters keep reciting the following. Even a man who is pure of heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Besides this poem, the moon isn't really mentioned as being a source of the transformation. I had not heard about pentagrams being associated with werewolves before I watched the film. Pentagram Palms is my new doom metal band name. I feel like they should have gotten a much older man to play Larry's dad since the age gap between the two actors seemed incredibly small. The transformations to and from werewolf form are pretty neat given the era. There are a few scenes that I thought were pretty funny. At the Gypsy Festival, Larry is shooting targets at a booth. A wolf target pops up and his reaction is great. He kind of freaks out and just can't shoot it at all. The funniest part of the movie is when Larry is in werewolf form and steps on a bear trap. He just starts howling and rolling around on the ground. Overall, I was not a huge fan of Lon Chaney Jr. I did like seeing Bela Lugosi playing Bela the Gypsy. If you can get over the main character being a numbskull douchebag, this one is still worth a watch. It's a classic and a really enjoyable film. Number 2, 13 Ghosts, 1960, directed by William Castle. Cyrus is a poor dude with a wife and two kids, Buck and Medea. After the family furniture gets repoed again, Cyrus is summoned by a lawyer named Benjamin Rush. Cyrus's uncle, Dr. Zorba, has left him a mansion and a special pair of glasses. They also get a witch, I mean housekeeper, named Elaine. The family moves into the house and sees that it's haunted. The glasses allow Cyrus to see ghosts in a secret passageway. They burn a 13 into the top of his hand. Buck starts finding money around the house. Dr. Zorba is said to have hidden his fortune in it. Ben sees that Buck has found some money and tells him to keep it a secret between the two of them. Elaine holds a seance. Buck finds where all the money is. Ben shows up and tells him to go to bed and that they will give the family the money in the morning. Ben then tries to murder Buck with a bed that crushes people. The ghost of Dr. Zorba shows up. Buck wakes up in time to escape. Dr. Zorba backs Ben into the deathbed. Then we cut pretty much instantaneously to the family, shown counting the money. It's revealed that Ben killed Dr. Zorba with the bed. The ghosts have been freed since the 13th ghost 
was created when Ben died. Ben and Dr. Zorba's ghost are the killers. The plot of this movie is all over the place. I'd say 70% of what happens in the film isn't relevant. There is an especially long scene where Buck sees the ghost of a lion and its tamer, which drags on forever and is incredibly boring for a scene with a ghost lion and headless tamer. The movie was originally shown in 3D, so maybe if I got to see the sick 3D visuals, that scene would have been better. The ghost effects aren't incredibly impressive. They didn't really try to match the ghosts with the set, which given for the time, I might not have minded too much if I hadn't seen a very similar effect done in a better manner in Bride of Frankenstein 25 years prior. Strangely enough, I think my favorite part of the movie is the intro where it shows the ghosts one by one. It sets a spooky mood that isn't followed up by the rest of the film, unfortunately. I love the remake, so I had to check out the original. Overall, I don't think I'd recommend this one. I feel like you can spend your movie viewing time elsewhere and get a better return on fun. If you love Matthew Lillard, interesting lore, incredible character designs, and can put up with some shortcomings, watch the remake instead. I will definitely check out House on Haunted Hill, another film written by the writer of this movie, Rob White, for the next episode though. And speaking of that remake, bonus movie, 13 Ghosts, also known as Thur, 13 N Ghosts, 2001, directed by Stephen Beck. A man named Cyrus is hunting a ghost with his psychic assistant, Dennis. Tons of people, including Cyrus, die, but the ghost is captured. Cyrus's nephew, Arthur, who is down on his luck, inherits Cyrus's crazy mansion. He goes to check it out and takes his two kids, Kathy and Bobby, and also their nanny, Maggie. Dude is supposed to be heavily in debt and poor, but somehow can afford a nanny. Once they are at the house, a lawyer lets them in. Dennis also gets in the house by pretending to be an electrician. The lawyer goes to get some money, which triggers a mechanism that makes the house lock up and start releasing 12 ghosts that are imprisoned inside. There are glasses around the house that allow the wearer to see these ghosts. The ghosts start causing havoc. A lady that wants to release the ghosts named Kalina shows up and saves the family. Kalina gives us some exposition on what's going on. The house is a machine powered by the ghosts which can open a portal that gives insane knowledge. She says the only way to stop the machine is to create a 13th ghost from an act of pure love. Dennis and Arthur go for a stroll, where Dennis sacrifices himself to allow Arthur to escape a ghost beatdown. It's revealed that Cyrus is still alive, and Kalina is his partner. The 13th ghost is needed for the machine to work, not to stop it. Cyrus kills Kalina, the kids are used as bait for Arthur, Maggie breaks a spell that is making the ghosts behave, allowing them time to kill Cyrus, Arthur saves his kids. Cyrus and the more evil of the ghosts are the killers. I will watch this movie whenever I see it on. The movie is carried by the amazing lore it sets up. Basically, there is a much cooler version of the original Zodiac called the Black Zodiac. The Black Zodiac is made up of 13 different figures. The Firstborn Son, Torso, Bound Woman, Withered Lover, Torn Prince, Angry Princess, Pilgrimess, Great Child, Dire Mother, Hammer, Jackal, Juggernaut, and Broken Heart. 
In this movie, 12 of these figures are represented by ghosts trapped in the house, and their designs are impeccable. I absolutely adore the crazy characters that were created. Every single one of the ghosts feels unique and stands out from the rest. None of them are lazily designed, none of them are just thrown in to fill spots. I really wish this movie had done better so that we could see more of the ghosts and get more lore surrounding the Black Zodiac. These characters make the movie. The movie is incredibly fun, it does have issues, but the ghosts make up for everything in my opinion. The acting for the most part is fine but cheesy, the plot works enough for me even if it is heavy on exposition, which is technically necessary to help set up and flush out the lore and explain exactly what's going on. If you're someone who appreciates character designs and interesting lore, I definitely recommend this. That being said, this isn't a very scary movie and it does have its fair share of cheese. It's fun and has neat ghosts. I'd love to see Guillermo del Toro remake this film. Number 3. WNUF Halloween Special, 2013, directed by Chris LaMartina and a bunch of other people. A news broadcast has a special live event where reporter Frank Stewart goes into a haunted house with paranormal investigators, their cat Shadow, a cameraman, and a priest. There are commercial breaks throughout the broadcast in other news segments. One segment is from a Christian group that hates Halloween. The gang enters the house and go upstairs, where an EVP recorder picks up a creepy, maybe paranormal voice, and Shadow the Cat disappears. They then go downstairs. A crash is heard upstairs. Upon going back upstairs and checking out the noise, the gang sees that the recording equipment the paranormal couple brought has been destroyed. They go downstairs to host a live seance, where they mostly get a bunch of prank calls. The couple hears the cat and runs off. Shadow has been killed. The couple freaks out, as you do, and leaves. Frank and the priest continue down the stairs to the basement. They get locked in there. The priest reveals that he's an actor. An intern is sent in to help and is murdered by a man with an axe. The basement door opens and Frank runs into the man with the axe. The film then cuts to back in the basement where the camera shows the dead bodies of the couple, the intern, cameraman, and the actor-priest next to Frank. Two people are shown to be the killers. They cut Frank's tongue out. You can see that they are two of the crazy religious Halloween haters from the earlier news segment. The film ends with a news report from a week later stating that they haven't found the gang and they're not sure if everything was a hoax. Two religious crazies are the killers. This movie is presented like it is an actual VHS recording of an old news broadcast. It has the commercials, bumps, segments, everything. Some of the content is played fully, while other parts are fast-forwarded. It nails the feeling of watching live newscasts back in the day perfectly. I was hit hard in the nostalgia by all the crappy product, terrible show, and local business ads that were played during the breaks. It actually reminded me how terrible watching live television was. The main plot probably takes like 30 minutes tops, out of the 80 that are shown. Their commercials, reiteration of what's happened, and other segments fill the other time. I know that this was pushing to be a comedy, and it does have some comedic moments, but I'd say that most of the movie just feels too real. A majority of the commercials feel more like complete remakes than parodies. 
The commercial parodies didn't take the jokes far enough, so even though it's cool to remember all these awful commercials, you were basically just watching a ton of them, with a rare tiny sprinkle of comedy included at times. I would never want to sit through this movie again. That's not to say that I didn't find it somewhat enjoyable. The movie's ability to transport you back to the olden times of television is pretty cool. I think this movie provides a very interesting viewing experience and is an original idea with fantastic presentation, but it just feels too much like a terrible news broadcast to recommend. Bonus movie, Deathgasm, 2015, directed by Jason Lehowden. A metalhead named Brody moves in with his Christian aunt and uncle. He befriends some nerds named Dion and Giles at school. He then meets another metalhead named Zack at a record store. They all start a band called Deathgasm. Brody digs a girl named Medina. Zack takes Brody with him to invade the home of an old metal legend named Daggers. Daggers ends up giving a rare record to Zack and Brody when someone else enters the house. The record isn't in the sleeve, but some ancient music sheets for what is referred to as the Black Hymn is found in it. The band ends up playing the Black Hymn, which turns a bunch of the town into demons, kickstarting the apocalypse, which Brody has to stop. Brody, an occult organization, and people possessed by demons are the killers. This is a New Zealand film. It was Jason Lehowden's first feature. Like most first features, the movie is not perfect. Some of the writing in this movie isn't great, and the plot isn't amazing. That being said, I really enjoy this movie. Caveat, I am a metal fan, and a lot of the aesthetic and pretty much all of the music is metal. I still think non-metal fans can dig this movie, but if you absolutely hate metal, which in this case, why are you listening to a horror movie-themed podcast and what went so wrong in your life, you may not be a fan. This movie is filled to the brim with great jokes. I've seen it multiple times, but there's always something in it that makes me laugh. There are tons of different types of humor littered throughout. Slapstick, regular jokes, absurdist, visual, all the types of comedy you could want are in this movie. Most of the gore and demons are done practically. There are some instances of digital blood and face shifting, but practical effects are definitely the main focus. The demon designs are creepy and unnerving with empty eye sockets where their eyes were torn out and crazy teeth. The whole feel and tone of this movie is ridiculous in the best way possible. You can really tell that the people involved put a ton of heart into the production. Milo Cawthorn isn't the only ex-Power Ranger in this movie. Kimberly Crossman, who plays Medina, was the Red Ranger in Power Rangers Super Samurai. It turns out a lot of the Power Rangers series were shot in New Zealand. In the movie, the band Deathgasm makes a music video, which is an homage to black metal band Immortal's video for their song, The Call of the Winter Moon. Immortal is one of my favorite black metal bands. If you have been looking for a way to get into black metal, I'd highly recommend listening to their song Tyrants off the Sons of Northern Darkness album. Walmart refused to sell the movie with the name Deathgasm, so Walmart made special sleeves that changed the title to Heavy Metal Apocalypse. With this one, I don't want to give too much away, so if any of what I said made this sound appealing, watch it. There's also an alleged sequel on the way, but after digging, it seems like if that does happen, it won't be coming out anytime soon, since the next movie Howden is making is an action comedy called Guns Akimbo, starring none other than Daniel Radcliffe. If you want to watch some other metal horror movies that are much more dated but fun, you can check out Trick or Treat 
from 1986 about a rock star who dies and is brought back as a ghostly entity by a record being played backwards, or 1990's Shock'em Dead about a loser who becomes a guitar god with a little help from Satan, the latter being one of the most campy cheese fests I have ever seen. I'll also be covering The Devil's Candy, which sounds like a no-funny-business, legit metal horror movie in the next episode. Bonus Series, Scream Queens, 2015, created by Ryan Murphy, Brad Polchak, and Ian Brennan. Death surrounds a sorority house after a masked figure, dressed as the school's devil mascot, begins slashing up students. This show stars Emma Roberts as Chanel, the leader of her sorority house. Her and her crew, comprising of girls also called Chanel, with a number tacked on the end, for example, Chanel number 5, played by Carrie Fisher's daughter, are a group of stereotypical, mean, selfish sorority girls. The Chanel's are absolutely hilarious, and are by far the best characters in the show. There is also Dean Munch, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. She is amazing whenever she's on screen, and her character ends up being absolutely ridiculous in the best way. Chad Radwell, a very douchey yet amazing frat bro who went from insufferable to one of my favorite characters, and Denise Hemphill, a security guard played by Nisi Nash of Reno 911 fame, who is basically playing the same character. Grace is presented as the main girl you're supposed to care about, but she's incredibly boring and spends most of her time wearing terrible hats. If she's on screen without any of the characters I mentioned, it's safe to say you don't need to pay much attention. This show is fantastic, I know. How can a show on Fox these days that has a bunch of pop star guest stars like Nick Jonas and Ariana Grande actually be good? I was skeptical going in, but man, it's well done and hilarious. The show is highly self-aware and makes you fall in love with all the characters you would normally hate. The kills are mostly well done and a few unique deaths are peppered in. There's hot oil, axes, knives, chainsaws, lawnmowers, tons of fun murdering. This show is a huge love story to horse slashers. I feel like this show is what Scream the television series should have been even though I think the first season of that show was pretty enjoyable and might talk about it in the future. But with Scream Queens, I feel like you could almost say that it's in the same universe as Scream and could have been a direct sequel if Emma Roberts' character didn't die in the fourth installment. It is a lot campier, but I'm not saying that as a negative. The situations that pop up in the show are absurd and wonderful. I highly recommend checking out the first season of Scream Queens. Avoid the second season, though. It's pretty bad. Season 1 is basically everything I could have wanted from a comedy slasher television show on a cable network. I thought Ryan Murphy was done making good horror-themed shows after the first season of American Horror Story. I'm in the camp that thinks the show sucked after the first season. But to be fair, I haven't seen any seasons past Freak Show, which I gave up on halfway through. I have heard good things about Hotel, and if you've seen later seasons and think they're good, let me know. Well, that's a wrap on the October version of Blank is the Killer. After these closing words will be a special bonus that nobody really asked for. That's right, folks. Stay tuned after a brief closing message with updates about the podcast to listen to the Bloody Reuben director's commentary. I'll even give you a countdown if you'd like to sync up what you're listening to to the movie. Anywho, I really hope you enjoyed this episode, and I know it was a little different than usual. Now on to some good news and bad news. 
The good news is I plan on continuing Blank is the Killer outside of October. The bad news is the new episodes will come out every two weeks instead of every week. Don't boo too loudly. I know that getting a new podcast every week is bomb, but if there is one thing I learned from watching a horror movie every day for 31 days, it's that watching that many movies and that amount of time can lead to a teensy tiny little bit of burnout. The episode's new format for the foreseen future is going to be six horror movies that are new to me and a bonus topic released every two weeks. The bonus topic will be all types of different horror-related media, including movies I've already seen, video games, board games, TV series, basically anything horror-related could pop up. I might even add a horror news segment. The next episode will be released Sunday, November 19th. I want to thank everyone for listening to Blank is the Killer so far. If you have any thoughts, complaints, props, or anything you'd like to insert into my brain, reach out using any possible medium. Thanks again to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast on iTunes. Check out their podcasts and videos by searching Sticker Fridge in iTunes or YouTube. Now, I present to you the director's commentary for The Bloody Reuben, No Holds Barred, Raw, Unedited, and Unrehearsed. If you would like to play it with the movie, which I personally recommend, pause the podcast here and search The Bloody Reuben on YouTube. Got it up? Perfect. Alright, well, here goes nothing. I'll count down in 3-2-1-go fashion, and I'll play it on go. Alright, got it? Alright, counting down. 3-2-1-go. So we start off here with some uh, ominous music and sounds, and now we're greeted with that Sticker Fridge Studios logo. Uh, big thanks to them. They're pretty much the entire reason this got created in the first place. And, you know, we'll, we like to start off right off the bat with just me jacking it. Why not? Um, I ended up playing that role because, you know, if you write that into your script, you have to be willing to do it when no one else wants to. And so we had um, a whole kind of other thing planned originally with uh, Wesley there playing Craig, getting up and having kind of like a montage of getting up and everything. But uh, unfortunately, due to us deciding to shoot in like one day, we we had to cut a lot of that out there. And um, with that blood spit take by me, we had one take of that because it just, it just made a huge mess. Now we just jump into it. We got Wesley scooting around, which originally was going to be a little bit extended, but due to time and just ability to like shoot in different locations outside, we kind of like cut a lot of that out too. We were supposed to get an establishing shot for the deli, but you know that never happened either, unfortunately. Well, here we have um, Brian, who did pretty much all of the editing. Um, playing the customer there. Um, big shout outs to him. I'd say he was one of the biggest driving forces of actually getting um, all this finished. And he put everything together and, and made it into something truly amazing. Trinity there is playing uh, the blind owner character. Um, he is basically based off of a boss I had named Paul Fercano, who runs the deli, um, is one of the three owners. It is named Fercano's Deli is where we shot. Um, I, I used to work there for two years 
and basically wrote the whole thing um, around having um, work there. Paul Furcano didn't want to play him um, the character, unfortunately, because he had uh, acted in some things before and just didn't want to stand around when he wasn't shooting. For that, we originally wanted to throw like a bucket of blood out um, when when he he died there, um, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Um, there was also an idea of uh, a ketchup packet getting stepped on um, to have some blood kind of pop out, kind of like uh, I think like an Edgar Wright matchup cut, but uh, some time constraints. Here we have uh, Alex and Sam um, playing Tim and Steve. Um, that uh, that scene was super genuine for their reactions because uh, it was just way funnier than I thought it would be um, from it being written there. Uh, then we have Avery um, coming in as Jackie. Trinity did have some um, ad-libbing here, and I think uh, what he said was pretty great, and it, it added and was funny. <laughs> there, there was a lot of humming. Um, that We got rid of most of it um, in the editing process, but uh, if we could do something differently, I, I definitely would have um, done something that would have allowed us to uh, get rid of the the humming by like unplugging the coolers but since we were filming this um basically over one night where the deli was going to reopen the next day we we just weren't able to unplug any of that stuff we almost forgot to even have that name tag which was pretty pivotal um pivotal to to the the character um to let you know that they had basically murdered craig and taken their clothes I think everything ended up looking um, pretty, pretty beautiful for the most part. There's a little bit of um, out of focus uh, parts um, and, and some small uh, issues. But overall, I think everything ended up looking really great. Um, having everything filmed in that one night was a little bit of a stressful thing. So uh, I think for, for doing what we did with the time we had, it ended up looking fantastic. And uh, Zach, the co-writer, um, was the, the cameraman. He did a, a fantastic job. This was actually um, originally going to be shot uh, in the actual deli instead of um, at that table, but we decided to change it and have, uh, you know, Tim and Steve and them sitting at the the table instead uh, I originally wanted Jackie to kind of like slide past like using a skateboard to look like she was just kind of like floating with the body but had to cut that due to time again unfortunately originally we had um, 
Tim come back and basically say, hey, you got to see this shit. But uh, we cut to that instead. And this music was originally a placeholder. Um, but when I saw it, I thought it was hilarious that that was playing over uh, the severed penis. So we, we kept that in. And um, the, the penis itself was made from cutting up some hot dogs and kind of like shaving them, sticking stuff together. And uh, making practical effect hot dog penis was a lot of fun. Um, in some of these scenes that you just saw, um, we did do um, some basically dubbing, and I think it turned out really well because it's really hard to even catch uh, that we added it. I love his nonchalant just go right into it. I thought that was absolutely perfect. I do wish we could have um, done some more actual practical like blood splatter, um, but since this was a deli that needed to open the next day and we just couldn't get stuff everywhere, we had to unfortunately move away from that. But uh, in the in the next film that we make, um, hopefully that's uh, all up in there. And so there's my dad, uh, Jim Baker. He plays the regular customer. The idea was to have um, Monster Craig get bloodier and bloodier throughout the movie. Um, but since we didn't plan the actual day of shooting would, is, as well as we should have, uh, given how much planning was in this, um, we didn't get too much blood on her, unfortunately. I wish there would have been more there. And my dad was a complete trooper with uh, eating this sandwich. The, uh, the blood was made with uh, just pretty much corn syrup and food dye, but um, it wasn't grilled super well because the grills accidentally turned off, um, and they take a while to heat back up, so it was kind of like a cold Reuben covered in uh, corn syrup. This whole sequence was originally supposed to be um, set in the walk-in with some cool stuff, but man, it's just it was way too loud to, to do any of that. And um, remembering that, uh, originally my dad was supposed to eat the uh, the cutoff penis in like a, a hot dog, um, but for time we ended up cutting that too, unfortunately. This was supposed to be kind of like a shift to daytime, but then we realized we weren't going to be filming really anything uh, in the daytime, so we kind of just kept it as a... You know, a strange little scene here. And I really do love these these credits that uh, Brian put together. Yeah, Marina was a, a huge trooper. Uh, we, we went pretty late into the night filming. And she had all that sticky, terrible corn syrup and, and makeup. And... Uh, Big shout-outs to her for, for putting up with all that and having all that honor for so long. Well, yeah, that's pretty much um, the, the movie there. Uh, it was a really fun experience to make all of it. Uh, it was never a thing that I expected to actually come to um, fruition. 
Um, I'd kind of written it and tried to get off the ground a couple times, but it, it never really took off until I got like Zach involved and sticker fridge involved. And I'm just really glad that we got to create something and, and put it out there. And I think, um, Avery did an amazing job. Um, and that was like our first time acting. So I'd really like to see what she does in the future if we if we decide to like write another movie i'll probably get a part for her in there as well and so yeah that that was the the bloody reuben um a movie planned for a while and then shot all in one night um but uh yeah it's something that i'm very proud of and i hope to do more projects in the future and so that's been the commentary that's the end of the episode of blank is the killer as well And you'll hear from me again on November 19th.